Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Thank you so much, wherever you're checking out this episode of the podcast, for joining us. I am excited about our show this evening. Parker Fleming will be back in the second segment, the next uh, part of our show, uh, as my co-host. We have some great guests lined up for you on this episode to talk about some not-so-great things uh, involving the Memphis Grizzlies. Usually they say the Disney World is the uh, most wonderful place on Earth. Not so for the Memphis Grizzlies so far. It's just not true. It isn't holding up. Uh, But maybe things will improve, or maybe they'll get worse. Who knows? 2020 is a hellscape upon which there is no uh escape uh ways to get in touch with the podcast uh you can follow me on twitter i am joe mullinax the site manager of sb nation's grizzly bear blues at joe mullinax you can follow the blog that i'm very fortunate to be at the helm of at sbn grizzlies you can follow this show gbb live at gbb live and you can follow my co-host again he'll be in the next segment of this episode parker fleming at paca underscore flaca uh that second segment will include both Parker and Peter Edmiston of Sports 56 WHBQ in Memphis. This past week, they just started a new show uh, with him and Anthony Sane, friend of the podcast from way back. Uh, congratulations to Sane on the new show with Peter. Uh, Peter does a lot of different things in Memphis. He's one of the brightest minds in grizzlies dumb in terms of what's going on with these grizzlies so uh we haven't had him on to get the gbb bump in a long time looking forward to it but first before we get to peter i do have to say i'm very excited to have someone who hasn't been on the show in a while he is a memphis media icon when it comes to sports really really a brilliant writer somebody that i i look to uh, as a mentor in a lot of ways, not even in terms of uh, just advice, but also just the way that he writes and his style. It really is something that I enjoy thoroughly. Uh, he works over at the Daily Memphian now. He also has a show on 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis. Again, Memphis sports media legend Jeff Calkins is on the program. Jeff, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know you're a busy man, so we'll jump right in here. Uh, Why does the state of Florida, and in particular Disney World, hate the Memphis Grizzlies so much? Yeah, it's been rough. Uh, It really has been rough and deflating. Um, I was trying to think, like, why is it such a gut punch, um, the Jaron news, obviously? And because the truth of the matter is, is that this isn't it shouldn't be that big a setback. He, he should be fine over the long haul, et cetera. Um, should be back. We don't know when next year will start, but one imagines that he'll be back um, by the start of next year. There is a little bit of a, a hiccup or a pause in his development, and that's not good. But this doesn't feel cataclysmic. I mean, it it it, it, it isn't intellectually cataclysmic, but it feels that way. And I was trying to think, why has it been so deflating? And I think partly... We've been waiting for this for so long, um, and we have so many other disappointments in our life that to have to sort of uh, have put up with another one uh, is more than you can almost bear. So it really was a crushing development. But um, you know, and now now we now we forge ahead. That's an interesting point, and one of the things that you're so strong with is you really understand Memphis. You write terrific columns. You bring the emotion uh, out of sports. I was driving around the other day. I live in the Washington, D.C. area for folks that don't know. And I was listening to D.C. Sports Talk and they were talking about how you've been dealing with the return of sports, which sounds dumb in theory. Everybody should be super excited. Uh, But their particular point was, have you gotten mad at the game yet? 
or are you still in a place where you're just glad it's on your television and it's not, you know, the, the dinos from Korea because American sports can't happen or that sort of thing. And, and I thought that was an interesting question and applying it to the Grizzlies now on a, even a grander scale, uh, we went into this with these wonderful thoughts of maybe they can go five and three in these seeding games. They're going to bring Justice Winslow into the fold. That's going to be awesome. He essentially has a training camp that we didn't think he'd have to get integrated into the schemes until next season. What an amazing opportunity. Tyus Jones is going to be great. Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to take a leap. All of these things that were such positives, and we were all so excited for the return of NBA basketball, and now we're here. Jeff, do you almost wish that the Grizzlies didn't make it to the bubble? Oh, I think you could make an argument that, I mean, they're, 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 you know, we'll get to Grayson Allen. That's been a positive development of the bubble. But in terms of what has happened in the bubble, yes, you would wish they had not participated in the bubble, except for, of course, what would that have meant for their season and what they were and whatever else. But, um, I, yeah, if you could undo the Justice Winslow injury and undo the Tyus Jones injury and undo the Jaron Jackson Jr. injury and just go straight into the offseason and forfeit, I would. Um, but to me, partly what's maddening is that last Friday, and I wrote about this in Friday's column, to feel that excruciating tension over something that means as little as a basketball game means, really, um, we've been worrying about such big things and to sort of feel this indescribable, familiar tension and agony over something that really is inconsequential in the in the big picture was such a delight and privilege to have back. It was just fun to feel that again and to think that, and that was even in a loss, and then five days later, it's really gone. Right. I mean, you, you can it's, today watching that game hard to get as worked up just because the stakes feels like they've changed. It's not going to be what we hoped it was no matter what. So I felt cheated that we only had five days of that just pure, meaningless tension and bliss that is watching uh, Grizzlies basketball. And um, and I think that's partly why it was such a blow. Plus, of course, Jaron really was the best player in the bubble for the Grizzlies and, 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 and the player making the, almost like the biggest leap. I obviously before, before, you know, we're talking about today's of a game, but uh, up to that point was the, the player who had made the biggest leap and who you sort of could see as he was taking people off the dribble, plus shooting nine, three pointers a game. You could see a guy who was really developing into um, what looked like a, you know, regular all-star level player and to have that just snatched away from you when we were just starting to enjoy it. It's like opening up your toy on Christmas and having it broken by 11 in the morning. And I think that's how we all felt. It's it's a painful experience. And I think you're exactly right about that. That's that meaningless feeling of being upset over a game coming back for me. It was like a, a, a reminder or a, a renewal of hope that things can eventually get back to normal. You know what I mean? Because obviously with the pandemic going on, I know you've been following the the high school football stuff going on in Memphis. Uh, nobody cares but me, but my life has been turned very upside down. You know what I mean? Like I'm a high school teacher as my day job. I'm a right. football coach as my day job. 
you know, literally everything uh, professionally has been flipped backwards and forwards. And the Grizzlies returning, you know, my side gig, my side hustle that I'm fortunate to be able to have with GBB, to have that again on your screen, to be frustrated at a bad call from an official or the fact that a, a ball didn't go through a hoop that you really hoped would, you know, again, like you said, as inconsequential as that is in the grand scheme of things, it was a reminder that maybe the world can get back to normal at some point. Right. And it it's, you know, now it, it's no longer an escape. It's a reminder of how painful and, you and, literally and, and figuratively things yeah, can be. And that we can care as much, that we can right. care that much still. You know, I, I think it found it refreshing that immediately on Friday, even though there were no fans, even though whatever, I was, I watched it at FedEx Forum, there were no fans there, obviously, we weren't there. But I still found that despite everything that had happened, that I cared just as much. I very quickly went back to that and you're right and now we've and now we're dealing with the crushing disappointment of injury we're talking with jeff calkins again of 92.9 fm espn memphis and the daily memphian uh does a remarkable job everywhere he goes very uh fortunate to have him back on gbb live make sure you're following him on twitter if you don't already do so at jeff underscore calkins let's start with the jazz game and work our way back before we look forward so uh the Jazz game still kind of fresh on our minds. We're recording this on Wednesday night, and the the name Grayson Allen stands out. I think he was six for seven from three, something absurd like that. Uh, in, in terms of performances, but in terms of body language, uh, I I wish I could give credit to where I saw it. It might have been from our own blog. It might have been Parker Fleming tweeting from the GBB account. Uh, somebody talked about Dylan Brooks's body language and how he doesn't change his way that he carries himself for anything. He could be shooting two for 19 from the field, and he's going to walk and play with a swagger after a made and one layup the same way that he would if he scored, you know, 20 plus points like he did against the Jazz. And that to me, in terms of body language, is a remarkable testament to the gift and the curse that is Dylan Brooks. Because if it wasn't for Dylan Brooks in this particular game against Utah, the Grizzlies would not have stood a chance. But if it wasn't for Dylan Brooks in the previous three games, you could make an argument that they would have had a better chance, especially uh, at times against New Orleans and others where those contested mid-range jumpers would be launched and there'd be open guys and, and you're really struggling offensively. You want more facilitation from that spot. So how do you, where do you stand halfway through these seeding games? And obviously the season as a whole, because Dylan's been struggling since February. But then before that, he was red hot. And one of the reasons the Grizzlies were winning. What do you see in terms of Dylan Brooks long term? Because I hope to have you on in the future, of course. And if we talk about the long term prospects of the Grizzlies, clearly Taylor Jenkins likes John Conchar. Anthony Melton's a restricted free agent. Grayson Allen has shown that he might be capable of being a permanent rotation fixture in Memphis. Uh, that's a lot of bodies on the wing and a lot of money that eventually might have to be invested. Dylan signs this extension. Do you think he's a fit long-term if he keeps playing this way? Oh, not if he plays this way. And they don't want him to play this way in the end. On this team, I don't know that he has to play this way, but on this team, he is thrust into a role that is bigger than his abilities. And I think has caused his ambitions and sense of self to balloon to maybe where it doesn't quite belong. And I say that hesitantly because I do think that Dylan in particular, his swagger is partly why he's here. 
right? Um, I don't, he's not so physically gifted that he would have been here. So had he not been wired to believe in himself as much as he does, I'm not sure he would be here. Um, I think it's interesting because I think, you know, you look at Jaron, you assume he's here long term. You look at Jai, you assume he's here long term. You look at Tyus, you assume he's here in a different role long term. You could look at Brandon, you think he's probably, I think Dylan's a mystery um, because I think it's up to Dylan. In the end, what you want him to be is a scrappy player who plays with edge, which you saw today, um, who brings, and that's important, um, uh, who, who, who guards, basically, who, who wants to guard, certainly, um, and who can be a useful 3 and D type player um, and, and can be a useful role on a contender, but not if he thinks he's Kobe Bryant. Right. Not if he thinks he's one of the big three. It, and, and for some players, they never give up or their sense of self never matches the reality of self. We saw that, honestly, with Jeff Green. We saw it for different reasons with Rudy Gay, which has changed, I think, over the years. But um, some players understand who they are and what their role and how they can best help a team. And some don't. And so if Dylan, as more talented players are added to this roster, if he can't scale back his sense of what the role will be, well, that then no, then you're gonna, you know, then then you do not want to be part of it. And I don't know because it's purely a, you know, it's what's gonna happen inside Dylan's head, and can he mature into that? Um, I don't have the answer to that, but obviously that's what you will need if you want him to be part of this team going forward. On the flip side of the body language conversation is John Morant. And again, I, I wish I needed to do a better job of giving folks credit. I, th- I know several people said it. You could tell he was, you know, hanging over on his knees. He was exhausted at the end of that basketball game. He's played more minutes in the bubble than he has at any point. And I do think it's important to remember they opened up seating play in Orlando. I believe it was Friday, July 31st. They've played four games in five or six days. Like that's a, a remarkable yep. amount of basketball, even without travel. Okay, that's a point that a lot of people will make. Oh, when they're not traveling, that's a challenge. That's fair, but at the same time, that's still to go from not doing anything or just the workouts that Jaw was doing on his own, which clearly were valuable, to a month of a ramp up with your teammates to four meaningful because it's not like these games are you know random tuesday nights against the portland trailblazers at fedex forum when it's half full and you don't expect fireworks to shoot out of the basket because it's not a big game every game matters in this seating situation he's exhausted and how much of that obviously tyus jones not being involved is is a major piece of that puzzle because he feels like he has to do so much but how much of that is fixable say Tyus Jones gets reevaluated. They announced a week ago now that Tyus had knee soreness and he'd be reevaluated in a week. Well, either today or tomorrow, you know, before Friday's game against the Thunder, it stands to reason we should get some sort of an update on Tyus one way or another. Does that solve the problem when Tyus Jones comes back? Or do you need more from the DeAnthony Meltons, the Kyle Andersons, to be honest with you, the Brandon Clarks of the world? Because Brandon Clark did not have a good game against the Utah Jazz in his starting role. Uh, filling in for Jaron Jackson Jr. is Does it need to be more of a group effort to help Ja, or is it as simple as Tyus returning will help lighten some of that point guard load? I think it's both of those things. I Very clearly, Tyus has been, I, I think as much as people sort of realized 
that this was going to be a pretty big deal. I think it's even been a bigger deal uh, than that to see. And partly the Anthony Mountain struggles have, have been a big part of that. Um, pretty clearly, like he's been bad, really, um, during most of his time in Orlando. Um, so I think it's both those things. Obviously, at Tyus Jones, that helps Ja. But you still you still need more from D'Anthony Mountain than you've got from the Mountain. You need more from Kyle Anderson than you've gotten from Kyle Anderson. I thought Brandon Clark, and I think this is the point that you actually made when you were talking about various options for where what they should do with him. I don't think he was used in the right role here. Um, I think, and and I do wonder if ahead of the next game, if they slide him back into um, of coming off the bench role. You know, I, I don't think it was some cataclysmic thing that 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 Brandon Clark failed in this role today, but he did. Um, it, it, it's it's another learning experience, right? I mean, he's not typically a starter. He's not going against the first team. He's like, let's be honest. This is the Grizzlies have feasted with the Anthony Melton, Tyus Jones, and Brandon Clark. That has been a real weapon, and they're typically building on leads when they come in during the regular season. Um, and it's a totally different role for him, a role that he did not and was not comfortable with today. Um, but I don't know that that's shocking, right? I mean, we, we are talking about in the end, this whole thing was supposed to be a learning experience. And I, I chalked that up for Brandon Clark as a learning experience. But very clearly, you're going to have to get more from lots of people. I mean, plus, particularly, you can't count on Grayson Allen doing what he did. Right. So, um, but there's not many players besides Grayson Allen who can you can point to and say these players have elevated their play in the bubble? Who else would you put in the category besides Grayson Allen elevated their play in the bubble? Just Jaron Jackson Jr., but he's not on the court anymore. So exactly. to your point, he's not on the court anymore. To your point, right now it's uh it, it's Grayson and and Jaw obviously he struggles with you can see it very clearly against the Portland Trailblazers jaw had a really tremendous game and I thought he played well until he got tired at the end against Utah but those are teams that don't have dominant defensive guards that don't have length right Right. it's McCollum and Lillard for Portland they're offensive monsters but defensively they're not as strong for Utah it's Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley Conley, you could argue, was overrated even when he was in Memphis defensively. I would disagree with that, but that's been a topic I've had uh, with folks on this podcast before. Now, Mike Conley at this stage of his career can't stay with Jaw, and Donovan Mitchell can't really do that either. Uh, But the games that sandwiched in between the Spurs and the Pelicans, you had Morant having real problems because he wasn't able to contend with the length and the size of the guards of the Spurs and the Pelicans. So I I do think that even with Jaw, you really lose some of what he does well because he's still figuring out how to take advantage of those players defensively when they have the length on him. So I think that jaw has kind of stayed steady in terms of what we expect from him, but I don't think he's gotten better. I'm with you on that. I think Grayson Allen very clearly has elevated himself. And I asked coach Jenkins about this and I asked Jaron about it as well. Um, one of the nice things about these virtual media availabilities, Jeff, is I'm able to do them again. Um, but with with Coach Jenkins and Jaron, I've asked about his leadership, and I've really noticed that, especially in third quarters when things start going off kilter a little bit. You know, Jaron has elevated himself not just on the court but off of it. He looks like he has taken on more of a role as a leader that I than I ever even really anticipated him doing. 
because you see Jaws, that dominant alpha, Damian Lillard, Kobe Bryant kind of mentality. Jaron's more of the fun-loving guy off to the side. But there's been real growth from Jaron. And I think that more than anything, they miss that moving forward. Even though Jaron's amazing as a, a 6'11 guard, essentially, at this point, the way that he plays the position on the floor, a true unicorn. You know, I wrote about it over at the blog today. You have to find ways to re- recreate what he brings to the table. And I think you're exactly right. Brandon Clark's not the answer as a starter. That I didn't, that was not my suggestion. And if coach, coach Jenkins isn't asking my opinion, uh, but in my post, I said that you slide Kyle Anderson to the four and you make DeAnthony Melton a starter. Obviously you can make an argument for Grayson Allen as a starter moving forward instead of Melton. Cause it's not like Melton's lit the world on fire, uh, but keeping Clark in that role as a reserve. I do think that he, bring so much to the table and energy boost. He's a shot of life coming off the bench that you don't get provided alongside in that starting role. So uh, we're, we're on the same page there, but I do think you're exactly right. If part of the goal of this experience, if you're truly going to remove the winning aspect out of it, you know, the, the reward at the end of the tunnel here for being the eight seed is getting crucified by the Los Angeles Lakers. So no, no illusions of grandeur there. Uh, that's what's waiting, whoever wins this eight seed race. But if the true goal is to grow, there's not there's been more regression than progression to this point. And I do think that is something that starts with Coach Jenkins. It starts with the staff. And it also involves how these players are approaching these games. It's not been pretty. And I do think that you have to give some some uh, leniency because of the injuries. But at the same time, guys that you would hope that would be stepping up in these big moments, the veterans like Kyle Anderson, who's technically a veteran, uh, they haven't been able to do so. I think Kyle Anderson almost fouled out again today. Oh, yeah. And there's I mean, there's things that that are it's funny. I we actually I was was on Gary Parrish's show today and I mentioned this in my column as well. In many ways, this is a little bit like the Memphis Tigers basketball season. Once you lose D.J. Jeffries and James Wiseman, um, like that's that's the story. Right? That that explains it all. What happened after that? Uh, once you lose, uh, you know, Justice Winslow, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Tyus Jones, that's the story. That explains everything. But that doesn't mean you can't wonder about or think about other things, mac, mic, you know, micro things uh, within that macro story. And so, for example, um, the fact that they haven't been able to guard without fouling. Um, I think is problematic. Honestly, the fact that they haven't been able to keep um, opposition guards out of the paint at all um, has been problematic. I honestly think you, you're seeing, you know, you weren't necessarily going to have Jay Crowder back anyway. You would have dealt him probably, whatever. But I think you're seeing his absence here um, a little bit. I think, you know, I, 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 they have been leaky defensively, let's be honest. And so uh, rebounding, if Jonas isn't in the game, they're getting killed. Um, so there are issues apart from the roster that make you think, boy, they could be doing better. Shot selection's another one. You had, uh, you know, deep in this game, they're down five, two straight possessions where you get a Jonas three and a Kyle Anderson three. Um, you got the, the 22 to one run, um, in the first, in the second quarter where John had one shot. So I think there are things you can look at within this, even you, as you understand, the big picture is, well, I see three dudes. What do you expect? And and I do think that's the fundamental picture. But you can worry about other things beyond that, too. 
Finishing up here with Jeff Calkins of 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis and the Daily Memphian. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Calkins. Jeff, a uh, couple of things to get you out of here on. First, when you look at the future of their situation in the bubble, right? Let's say Tyus Jones, a bit of good news, is ready to go on Friday. So they get some reinforcements there. Maybe that helps with the Anthony Melton, and that allows for him to be in a place to perform a little bit better. And they they start looking better, but it doesn't equate to any wins. And they go 0-8 in both Portland and San Antonio past them. Uh, is this season tainted it all for you after all of this because I do think that obviously this while you may this might be one of the hardest NBA championships to ever win if you're the Lakers or the Bucks or the Clippers those true title contenders the Raptors because of the circumstances that they're in for Memphis before the season was suspended everybody was feeling good about where the team was at that still exists. The only thing that has changed is the arena that they're playing in and the world that they're a part of. Uh, but given the advantage that they have or had, and they still have, um, the Blazers are the closest team to them right now, I believe, but they also have the tiebreaker over the Blazers. San Antonio is in the mix, obviously beat the Grizzlies recently like the Blazers did, uh, but the Spurs are a game back of the Blazers. Those two teams have tough schedules moving forward, and they're flawed too. So if Memphis falls out of the playoffs entirely, does your perception perception of what the Grizzlies were this fun team that was running up and down the floor so far ahead of what we thought they would be you know all those good vibes going into the bubble does that really get tainted at all based off of these unique circumstances that Memphis is facing uh first of all I think if I were to predict what has happened I think I would predict they will fall to the ninth seed be in the play-in games and then fail to win two um, because the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, I think Portland will likely pass them, but New Orleans and San Antonio, both two games back, only four to play. Like I, if the Grizzlies can win one, if the Grizzlies can win one, I think they're pretty safely in ninth. And I think they'll win one. I don't know where, I don't know if it's because, you know, Boston won't play their starters or what, who knows, but I think that's what I would predict. But let's just say they're not eighth or ninth. Let's say they go winless. Taint? No, it wouldn't taint at all. I mean, it's been a magnificent year for the Grizzlies. That's a franchise-level saving year, a year of finding a superstar the likes of which we have never had on this on this team. And and no, it doesn't taint it. And particularly, you might have said that if they had gone zero and eight and everyone's been healthy, then it might have tainted it. But particularly given the circumstances. I don't see how you can say it would taint it. It won't be quite as much rollicking good fun. There won't be quite as much sense of triumph headed into the sort of, it might, it might dampen the feelings just a smidge, but big picture, I don't really think changes it at all. Certainly does not taint it. It is a wildly successful season. If they don't win another game, heck until 2021, which may well be right. I mean, if they, so um, no, it does not taint it. Um, may just take a little of the fun away, but some of the fun has already been taken away by the injuries. And then that leads us into the question of the day that you already kind of answered. Uh, halfway through the seeding games in Orlando, the Memphis Grizzlies are 0-4. How many games will they win the rest of their stay in the NBA bubble, thanks to the 100 folks that took part in the poll? Uh, the least voted on option was three or more. 9.4% of folks thought, thought or excuse me, think that the Memphis Grizzlies 
will win three or more games in the bubble. Uh, I'm going to give my prediction on that in the second segment. I'm curious, Jeff, you essentially just said that they'll take one. Uh, Do you think that they could, you know, again, I know you're prognosticating. Is it one in the seeding games and then they lose to the eventual eight seed Portland in that very first play in game? Could they get another one in the play-in and maybe forced to a sudden sure. death? And then, and that way, could they win? I mean, one to get to the of their next four. I think right. they'll win. One. I think they will almost have to win one to get to the next one. And um, I don't think it's likely if they go winless that they will get to nine. Although that, all is possible, I mean, that's not inconceivable. Um, so, and that would be a little odd, wouldn't it? Getting to without winning a game, being in the play-in game. The definition um, of limping in. Exactly right. So, uh, but I think they win one of the remainder, remaining seeding games. I mean, you saw, you know, you know, you saw Brooklyn beat Milwaukee. So it's a, it's a, it's a basketball game. Things happen. I think they will win. They will win one of the seeding games. They'll get into the uh, game, the playing games against Portland, having to win two, and they will lose and go home, and that will be that. And it will be a wonderful season uh, that had a little bit of a disappointing end only because of injury. And I still believe, like, I think they would have won that Portland game if they had Tyus Jones. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think the, uh, and, and I think, I think they would have been in the eight, I think they would have won the eighth seed if they had Tyus Jones um, and Darren Jackson Jr. Obviously. Um, so it, it, to me, it, this was really more a reflection on what happened to them rather than, no, they did not rise to the occasion and surmount the obstacles in front of them. But, the, the obstacles were placed in front of them that they didn't, you know, could not have foreseen. And so, uh, but that's how I see it playing out. I think that's exactly right. At some point you, the bending becomes breaking. And I think that this team has endured a heck of a lot of adversity already this year and overcome it. Uh, but to not have three key contributors, because I know Justice Winslow hasn't played a second. They were planning on Justice Winslow playing a lot of seconds. Uh, don't, don't, right. don't make that mistake uh, for, go ahead. Yeah. You you were on you were on with um, I I know on the Zoom calls after this game and I thought it was striking to me and I led my column with this is when um, he was at when when Taylor Jenkins was asked to compare his experience in the bubble and how things have played out to what he expected right and Taylor Jenkins is a patient man and he is invariably upbeat and talks about positive spirit he's fantastic else, right? in those Zoom calls gives very and, thoughtful and answers what he just said. He just said, you know, I, I wish we hadn't gotten hurt and we played better. What else do you want me to say? You know, it was the closest to testy that I'd ever heard him. Um, because that's the story. Yeah, I wish I hadn't gotten hurt, you know. And, um, and he didn't say, he didn't sort of say, what do you want me to do here? You know, but it was, it was, it, I think previous games, he's been a little bothered by the effort at some, at, at some level. This game, he was more bothered by anyone who would be bothered by the game, it seemed to me. Like, he was really proud of the players and the effort and all that stuff. And and that question just sort of drove home the point. What the hell do you want me to do? We're missing three of our – you have to say three of the best seven players, right? I would agree with that, clearly. absolutely. Yeah. So what the hell do you want? Um, and I thought it was the first time get just a little bit testy on one of these um, because – you know, yeah, their question sort of answered itself. As I said in my in my column, that it'll go up here in a minute um, or in a little bit. But the column said that 
how was your 2020 compared to what you expected your 2020 to be? You know, you Joe Molina. You know, uh, so would you speak to how your 2020 turned out to be compared to what you? Well, no, it's not quite the same as what I had in mind. No, it's very similar here. This is not what they had in mind. But what are they supposed oh. to do? You put your head down and keep keep going, and that's what they're that's what they're doing. The the trudge that is 2020, two trudge, <laughs> right. Uh, that, that that's what it is to live in the United States and in the world at large in the year 2020. That's a, that's a very good point, Jeff Calkins, and we'll end there. Thank you very much, sir. As always for your time, it's appreciated. Yeah. Make sure you guys are checking out his work over at the daily Memphian and also on 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis, the Jeff Calkins show every morning over on 92.9. When we come back, we will have Parker Fleming, my co-host welcoming Peter Edmiston back to the program. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinex. In the first segment, that was Jeff Calkins, a Memphis sports media icon, asking you how your 2020 is going. And I'm I'm going to lead this segment off of that exact same question. I'm going to ask it first to my co-host, my associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. That segment, the, the end of that segment, Parker, had me thinking, and we're going to ask our guest here in a moment. But I'm going to start with you. Is 2020 going the way that you thought it would, Parker Fleming? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> uh, for one, I thought I'd be working in an office for my first full year, and that hasn't gone to plan. I've been working from home since March. I thought I was going to get to cover the Grizzlies' playoffs at the Forum at the Grindhouse, my first ever media experience covering the playoffs, and – it's kind of like that, but we're resorted to Zoom calls, having to use the raise hand feature on Zoom. So not not expected. I'll tell you what. Well, I selfishly am not going to complain about that because it allows for me to be involved in the media for the first time in a long time. And, and I know uh, folks have, have missed me so much in those situations. <laughs> Sarcasm there. Uh, but um, yeah, 2020 has not gone the way I think any of us would have thought, as, as Jeff kind of alluded to at the end of that first segment. It certainly hasn't gone the way Taylor Jenkins thought it would, at least not his bubble experience. And I have a feeling that 2020 has not gone the way that our guest at this time thought it would. In a lot of ways, both good or bad and bad, excuse me, when it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies. He is the host of uh, mornings over on Sports 56 WHBQ in Memphis, or co-host now, working with our buddy Anthony Sane. He writes for a variety of places like The Athletic, does an amazing job as a writer, as a basketball mind. He's a big fan of the GBB bump. We're excited to have back Mr. Peter Edmiston. Pete, how you doing? How's your 2020 going? Uh, It's going great, exactly the way I thought it was going to (laughs) go. I said global pandemic. I said massive disruption. I said uh, the NBA would be the only sport that is uh, going uh, perfectly normally right now, except they're doing it in a self-contained bubble at Disney World. Uh, I, I, I knew all that would happen. I was uh, I was I was on top of that, guys. So uh, I'm sorry I didn't give you guys the memo. That was the way it was going to be. But yeah, I know about that. Thanks a lot, Peter. Thanks a lot. You you yeah. let us all down. You could have given us some stock market tips like, hey, maybe you should invest in Kroger or Home Depot or, <laughs> or any masks. streaming service. Right. Or, yeah, medical masks. 
Who knew what yeah. PPE was before March? Not me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I had N95, no idea. Man. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm basically a clue. A, an amateur epidemiologist at this point. So you, you yeah. and the you rest need, of social stuff, media. Let me know. Absolutely. Oh, that's the best. I love. I love that. Big fan. When we start digging into the aerosolized particles, and yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm into it. I'm into it, baby. Let's 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 go. Forget about basketball. Oh, jeez. No, let's I talk, can't. Let's talk rate of transmission, baby. Oh, jeez. No, everybody's turning off the podcast now, Peter. You're 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 doing the opposite. <laughs> We're getting the GBB opposite of a bump here. Uh, the GBB um, dump, I believe. Oh, the there you go. Damn it. That was easy. Why didn't I think of that? The GBB dump. God, that's that's why they pay you the big bucks, Peter. That um, is why I'm rolling in the money. Well, and I mean, I'm sure Anthony Sane is keeping you sharp over there on Sports 56. Oh, my God. Hey, man, Sane, Sane is something else. Sane is something else, man. Uh no, we're having, we're, having, we're having fun. It's our first week doing the show, so yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a very uh, eventful week to start. That's for sure. Last week I was on vacation, the most poorly timed vacation, to tell you exactly how little I knew about 2020. I set that thing up like in February that this was going to be the last week of July. I figured, eh, you know, we'd be done with free agency pretty much and kind of in between, uh, you know, free agency and the beginning of uh, football. And so I mean, that's a good time for me to kind of just duck away for, for a week. And, uh, you know, we had a little cabin set up that we went to, uh, in the mountains, we were, ba- you know, really very much like off the the beaten path and bad cell signal, not much Wi-Fi. You just kind of out there doing our thing. It was great. And then, uh, you know, lo and behold, all this happens, and it turns out that's going to be like one of the most eventful weeks. And first week of NBA back, and uh, you know, the FedEx sings you the invitational, the golf tournaments in Memphis that week. Uh, you know, just just every just everything just completely uh, being thrown up in the air. So yeah, I I, I had absolutely. No plan, uh, no idea what's going on. And, uh, yeah, as soon as I came back, I was down at FedEx Forum watching playoff games with me and Parker. We're watching uh, big screen and nobody else uh, in, in, in the crowd, like 50 people total in the entire like FedEx Forum. Uh, very, very strange. Uh, just, just everything's very strange these days. And we'll lead off with that, Peter, because that was something that we talked about with Jeff in the first segment. And, and how the return of sports, you know, whether it's President Trump, not to get political, but just up and down the the list of people that you would hear from on a daily basis, be it media, family members, text threads with buddies and friends, the return to sports, man, that's going to be it. That's where it's going to be. Things start feeling a little bit more normal again. And the, they had me with the Portland and Memphis game. That was a moment where for a split fleeting second, I thought, ah, God, it sucks to lose a basketball game. And I completely forgot about mm-hmm. the pandemic occurring and all the upheaval that you just alluded to. And it was nice to feel normal again. But fast forward five or six days, and I no longer want that feeling because since that time, even in a tough overtime loss to Portland, a veteran team that played in the Western Conference Finals that is as healthy as they've been in a long time, even when in that there was hope that the Grizzlies were going to continue to progress instead of being stagnant or even having several players perhaps regressing. Fast forward to where we are here and now, Peter, and that hope is all but diminished, leading off with the injury to Jaron Jackson Jr., one of the two players besides him and Grayson Allen that actually has shown true progression, both in terms of his leadership skill and his ability as a basketball player. 
It's uh, it's been it's been bleak, man. I don't know. Uh, I wish I could uh, give you a bunch of real positive stuff. And I mean, again, I think you you have to kind of look at this thing in, in two different ways. Um, you know, from the thirty thousand foot view, everything's still fine. Everything's still great. Uh, the the Grizzlies are still very young, and you know, this season uh, was very unlikely to end in a championship. So you know, you were going to lose at some at some stage. So I mean, from the bigger picture standpoint, it's not really a big deal. You're you're unlikely to keep your pick. Although, you know, losing and maybe not get the playoffs, if that ends up being the case, then you're going to end up uh, having a slight chance to, to jump up into the top four and, and, and keep your pick. Maybe there's some consolation in that. But on the whole, you know, you're fine. Like, everything's fine from the Grizzlies' standpoint. Darren's injury really, really sucks. Uh, but, you know, from, from a long-term perspective, you should recover. Meniscus tears. You know, you hear out for the season, and it sounds very ominous. But, I mean, the truth is that's a six- to eight-week kind of injury. So, uh, you know, if it were the regular season, you, you'd be, you know, you'd, he'd miss a month or two and be okay. So by next year, I would think that everything should be uh, just fine. But here's the deal. We have gotten so used to, and I think rightly so, grading guys, especially John Morant, um, on a little higher scale. It's a little bit like the, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a coach, Joe, teacher, all that stuff, you know, you know, sometimes you have a player, sometimes you have a kid who is way ahead of schedule. Sometimes you just have someone who's just ahead of the curve. And maybe, you know, in, in class, there there are two or three grade levels above everybody else. And maybe you give them a, a really tough exam, and maybe they don't do so well. You know, like, that might be disappointing to you. But at the end of the day, you got to grade them on a little bit of a harder scale because they, they've earned that. They've earned that opportunity. They've shown you that they're worthy of that. And so when John Morant is playing – um, just kind of okay. Uh, that you got to grade them on that tougher scale. You can't grade them like a rookie. When the Grizzlies are, you know, throwing the ball around and not taking good shots, not making good decisions, when for much of the year they were really doing uh, all the right things, you got to grade them on a little bit of a harder scale. And so, yeah, short term, I, I can't really sugarcoat it. They they've played uh, pretty poorly, say for a quarter or two of the 16 that they've played in the bubble. Doesn't affect the long term evaluation, but it's been a hard watch in the short term. And Parker, that was pretty evident in the Utah Jazz game that happened uh, before we recorded this podcast. You had moments of brilliance from Grayson Allen, which I know you were very excited about, Parker, uh, or whether it's, you know, John Morant having flashes of success, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell not able to stay in front of him defensively. You had another double-double from Jonas Valanciunas. You had the good Dylan Brooks, especially in that first half. But then, as Peter alluded to, you also had the 22 to 1 run by the Utah Jazz, in which everything that is just not good about the Memphis Grizzlies right now was on full display. Whether it's poor passing, poor shot selection, miserable defensive rotations, which we'll talk more about uh, with DeAnthony Melton in particular here in a moment. But literally, in a 22 to 1 run over the span of like five minutes of gameplay, the Memphis Grizzlies lost a double-digit lead that they earned and found themselves essentially down double digits or nine points, just like that. And I think that that second quarter of the game against the Jazz is a great example of what uh, Peter is talking about. The the fact that they are still young and all those things are true, this is still a successful season. Even if they go 0-8 and they fall out of the playoffs, period, I think it's fair to say that this season is still a pretty big success. But 
you were also allowed on that higher curve that Peter just talked about to be disappointed in the way that they've responded, albeit to a difficult situation, but all of these teams have to deal with it. You're being reminded of what youth looks like when it comes to professional sports and basketball in particular. And in that 22 to one run in particular, it really shined through. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that kind of goes unnoticed as was similar with the Portland game, Utah's a team full of veterans. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, he's young, but he's already been playoff tested going as deep as the second round. So is Rudy Gobert. But you also have Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal. I mean, when those two guys, when those three guys are combining to go for 63 points and make 13 three pointers, you're not going to win. I don't care how bad Mitchell or Gobert play, you're just not going to win. And I mean, you did allude to at the beginning how happy I was that Grace Allen went off. Yes, I was happy to see him hit six three-pointers. I was happy to see Dylan Brooks cook a little bit in the first quarter. But, I mean, for the most part, like you said, this is just a it, – it's a process. I think people are caught up in the playoffs that they're getting so far away from the whole process of everything. I mean, at the beginning of the season, I thought I was going to be arguing with people about why they shouldn't take James Wiseman. I thought I was going to become public enemy number one on GBB because I did not like what James Wiseman, but instead we're getting to be in this weird bubble situation, getting to play basketball against really good teams. I mean, you're playing against Portland who they're, they're better than their record shows because of you use of Nurkic's injury. You're playing against Utah and the Toronto Raptors, Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics, Oklahoma city thunder, and you're getting those reps and that's very valuable for this time. And yeah, you, you have the right to be disappointed, but Hell, I'll take this over being where someone like the Atlanta Hawks or the Minnesota Timberwolves are to where they're watching from home and they may not even get basketball for nine more months or for nine months total. So glass half full approach from me over here. We live in a very immediate gratification world. And I know you guys know that. And that's one of my largest frustrations. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. It's become a joke over at GBB. Uh, about you know how old people were when I started doing this uh, blogging. To me, the 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 macro view of this, the thirty thousand foot outlook, as Peter talked about, that has to be kept in mind because I know you guys know this, but the fans that are listening that might be disappointed about what's happening to this team right now, eighteen months ago, none of this is possible in terms of the darkest depths of despair. You have a GM with no direction, uh, at least we thought at the time. You know, things started churning around this time 18 months ago in terms of Zachary Kleiman taking over. But you had no direction. You had a floundering product. You had a big man that wanted to get the hell out of the city, a city that he was essentially raised in, and a poor ending to that entire endeavor. You didn't have the draft capital you have now. You didn't have the John Morants and Brandon Clarks of the world. You didn't have the Anthony Meltons. For all the struggles that are happening in this moment, Peter Edmiston, I think that sometimes, and, and I say this as a Grizzlies fan who came on board in 2011, right? Like there's a bunch of people that have been around far longer than that. I am guilty of this at times where that two-year span, just two seasons, where the Grizzlies were bad, I was like, oh, gosh, this sucks. They're not any good. This is hard to cover. There are people that have been enduring for a lot longer 
worse basketball than even the Grizzlies are playing in the bubble right now. And at least it's competitive. At least it's for something greater, even if it's just experience-based. They are in a position to make the postseason. That has not always been the case for the Memphis Grizzlies when they're bad. And the fact that there is a direction now, that they have a plan in place, and it's a long-term vision for taking advantage of when the LeBrons of the world are gone, the Warriors of the world are gone, and they're going to be in a place to have John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, think about these guys at the age of 25, 26 years old, when they come into their primes. They might be the version of the Lakers that we're seeing now in the middle of this decade. But it's hard to be able to look at this from that perspective because you're in the moment. And you you really do lose sight of what this team will do because of what they're not able to do now. Is that fair to say, Peter? Yeah, I mean, I think you, that, that's the, 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 the longer-term approach is certainly uh, on the positive side. I mean, there's no doubt that they are in so much of a better place in, in so many ways than, than they have been for, for a long time. Um, I mean, you know, this is just, it's, it's difficult because, you know, in, in the moment you, you, you know, they're, I, to me, I, so to me, like, I think you can do both. I don't really have a problem with it. Like I can be pretty short term and, and just kind of discuss the game each game and, you know, small little stretches, two, three, four games and talk about how they've not played up to their, their potential at this moment, even taking into account, the, the, the many injuries they've dealt with, but you can also then kind of say, but, you know, putting that aside, obviously they're, they're in really, really good position. I mean, I can certainly remember, um, you know, when they first arrived and they were awful and playing some really, really bad basketball. And then when they made the playoffs, they had that incredible run, uh, you know, under Hubie and they won that at first 50 win season. And you know, I remember that playoff game where Hubie was given the coach of the year trophy, the first home game, first home playoff game in Grizzly history in the pyramid. There was so much, the towels were being waved. There's so much towel dander in the air that you could see it. It was like <laughs> made you, making you cough. It was crazy. And then they, they lost uh, every playoff game. They lost 12 straight playoff games. So even when they made the playoffs, it was a joke. They didn't sell out playoff games because fans just knew, like, well, they're going to lose this one. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened for their first three playoff years. It took them, you know, until 2011 to even win a playoff game. And that was that great series uh, against the Spurs, ultimately. So, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of downs and, and a few ups. So I, I think, you know, from a positional standpoint, not only is the team in, in really good shape with two spectacular 20-year-olds, uh, you know, at the helm, but the leadership and the front office is in a position, I think, that's uh, as good as it's ever been. Uh, yeah, the, the, the job that Zach Kleiman has done, in about a year plus has been pretty amazing. Um, you know, credit to him and the rest of the front office for that. And I, I really feel like, you know, the moves they make all make sense. Um, you know, I may not necessarily agree with every single one of them. I mean, there may be some issues here and there, but uh, the moves they make make sense. And Taylor Jenkins has done a really nice job, even if I think he himself is learning a few lessons uh, in this little uh, bubble slash playoff run that we're seeing. Uh, he's done a really spectacular job. Uh, he works well with that front office. So in terms of synergy top to bottom, from roster to coaching to front office, I don't think the Grizzlies have been in a better position than they are right now. So, you know, look long-term, absolutely. You know, be, be very happy, be optimistic, uh, feel, feel good about it. But in the short term, uh, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be a little concerned. It's okay to have some questions about the rotation. It's okay to have some questions 
about the way they've played. I think you can do both of those things simultaneously. Absolutely. And you make a fantastic point there, Peter, about synergy. You know, I, I've been around long enough, again, not as long as you guys uh, in terms of fandom with Parker, but in terms of covering the team with you, Peter, uh, I, I remember, you know, champagne taste on a beer budget. I remember Lionel Holland oh, yeah. and that lack of synergy from front office to coaching staff. That is refreshing in and of itself to have a unified front. And I think that's another reason to be optimistic. We're talking with Peter Edmiston. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, Twitter, excuse me, if you don't already do so, at Peter Edmiston. Again, he does a great job over on Sports 56 WHBQ in the mornings. He also is a writer for the about the Grizzlies over at the Athletic Memphis. Uh, you mentioned short-term disappointments, and I agree with you completely. I, I think that you're capable of separating the two. Others aren't. Like there is somebody in our mentions over at SBN Grizzlies, I do a uh, – a thread of the media availabilities when I do them. And I know Parker does too, but I was doing them today. And the thread was about, you know, Taylor Jenkins talking about the struggles, all that stuff. One of the replies was, and I, I'm not kidding when I say this, fire his ass, right? Like this is a guy who got votes for coach of the year. You know what I mean? Like this is a person who you most certainly do not want to fire. Uh, but there, there's folks out there that do very much live in that moment and stay there. I, I had do some, think... I had some random person. I had some random person in my mentions that was uh, destroying John ja Morant. It was like ah, all he does is dribble and jump. Like, what are you? T- what is it? What are you talking right about? <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of? What is? What is your problem? You're an insane person. So yeah, you I, I, I literally used a mute feature. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I got to mute people like that. I can't deal with that. I understand. That makes total sense. But I'm with you that you can be disappointed in the short term, and I think we probably all will agree. That the most, maybe not this is the number one disappointment, but a large disappointment in the bubble so far has been DeAnthony Melton. Uh, I wrote about DeAnthony on Tuesday over at grizzlybearblues.com, uh, kind of giving a shout out to Space Jam, saying that DeAnthony has a basketball Jones. He, he's missing Tyus a good bit. I think I, and I argued in the piece that he more than anybody misses Tyus Jones because DeAnthony's out of position. He's out of place. He's not where he's supposed to be as that secondary facilitator on the perimeter as a wing, not as a true point guard. And that's the reason for his struggles or one of the reasons for his struggles. But to me, Peter, the DeAnthony Melton question, his struggles at that position they are a larger indicator of a team-wide issue defensively, and that really reared its ugly head against the Utah Jazz, especially to the tune of Joe Ingles. I think he was six for nine from three or something along those mm-hmm. lines, and it wasn't just Ingles. You had Royce O'Neal, like Parker talked about. You had Mike Conley hitting threes. Uh, the perimeter defense really hasn't been there, and if you listen to Dylan Brooks in his media availability, and John Morant said it too, talking about miscommunications and not really hitting their assignments properly. There was a lot of wide open shooting from perimeter, not just against the jazz, but on the whole as a team and D'Anthony Melton's a part of that. Do you attribute these concerns? Cause they haven't been good at this all year. So I think it's a little bit lazy to say, Oh, well, it's because they have so many guys out due to injury. How can the Memphis Grizzlies, assuming that they're able to write the ship somehow, Tyus Jones, if he gets reevaluated and it's good news, um, comes back and they have that backup point guard again, letting Melton play off the ball. Uh, is is it possible to fix this issue right now? Is it something that they can improve upon? And if so, how do they do it? Because it sounds like it's a communication breakdown. Uh, Dylan Brooks alluded to a little bit, and I don't want to quote him. I'm paraphrasing uh, to you know not really taking the lessons that are learned that they're seeing in film and applying them to the court. 
Is this just kind of a growing pains kind of thing with DeAnthony Melton and the defense at large? Or is it uh, a larger problem, potentially long-term, but certainly at least the rest of the time that Memphis is in the bubble? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you, you kind of are who you are. Um, you know, I don't think there's very many things that you're going to be able to do to radically change your coverages or your scheme or what you're going to do defensively. And I don't think you really want to. Um, you know, they, they have given up, um, you know, quite a few uh, three-point shots, uh, you know, this year. That's that's kind of um, along the same lines as, uh, you know, what, what Mike uh, Budenholzer is doing. Uh, with Milwaukee now, um, you know, they, they give up a ton of three uh, opportunities. The Grizzlies uh, give up quite a few uh, of their own. And it's it's just kind of part of the scheme. Uh, it's a matter of uh, you know, what they all, you know, KYP, know your personnel. You know, they, they, they kind of uh, try to, to, to skew it so that they want the certain guys taking them and not others. Uh, but that has not worked. And that's part of the miscommunication that you hear those guys you know, talking about. It's about passing guys off. Uh, properly, it's about you know, making sure that that you're talking to uh, your your teammates and letting them know exactly you know where 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 things are in the scheme and, and what they need to be doing. And I don't think there's been a lot of talking. I do think that the lineups have been um, you know skewed a little bit because of injury and just you know, the idea that they really wanted to, to to throw in Justice Winslow and and then they had to change that you know fairly late in the in the game. Uh, now obviously with Jaron out, and Jaron is such a huge part of their defensive scheme. Uh, that made it very tough against the the, the Jazz uh, because uh, you know Jaron defends uh, on on all three levels and does it does it really well and he'd been playing so well that 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 just kind of messed the, the the whole thing up. I don't think there's much you can do uh, at this stage. I think that's kind of uh, who they are and you know sometimes uh, you just hope that you get the right people taking those shots and it's a little bit of a mirror of what some of the teams do against the Grizzlies and you saw the Jazz. I mean they they don't they don't mind Kyle Anderson stepping into a you know, 25 footer. Uh, yeah, they they don't they don't mind Dylan Brooks necessarily taking tons and tons of threes. Um, you know, if he gets hot, you got to deal with that. But you know, he shot himself uh, into being hot, and then he shot himself out uh, of being hot in the in, in the second half. They don't mind uh, you know John Morant taking the threes. You know, he hit two of the three. You know, I mean, you remember the last game against the Pelicans, uh, he missed his first eight. Uh, there's not really a guy apart from Grayson Allen right now who is a an automatic threat. Uh, other than Jaron Jackson Jr., who you have to really account for out there as a shooter uh, on the Grizzlies' offensive side. The teams kind of do to them what they sort of try to do, except that Joe Ingles is a fabulous standstill shooter. Mike right. Conley has shown uh, that, you know, while it kind of took him a while to get it going with Jazz, he's been better of late, and, and he showed in, in the, lat, the last couple seasons with Grizzlies how good he can be as a one-dribble uh, shooter off of that screen. Uh, Royce O'Neal can, can hit threes. They've got a lot of guys – yeah, they can, they can do that. And so you, you really can't screw around uh, with them the way that the, the Grizzlies did, allowing them to, to, to hit 18 threes in the game. It's, it's just really hard for, for a team with as inconsistent a shooting as the Grizzlies have uh, to beat a team who hits 18 three-point shots. That's just that's, that's too much. And I'm glad that you brought up the point about personnel and scheme in terms of Memphis. You know, people get frustrated and they say, why are all these guys so wide open? That You're right. Taylor Jenkins is a disciple of Budenholzer. That is part of what Milwaukee is trying to do. But sometimes when it comes to knowing your personnel, and I do think this is a rookie coach lesson for Taylor Jenkins, when it comes to that KYP, know your personnel, it, it goes both ways because the Bucks have Giannis, the Bucks have Chris Middleton, the Bucks have Eric Bledsoe. They have a veteran group of guys. Brooke Lopez is an underrated defender at and around the rim. 
you know, they, they have so many players that are able to execute that scheme that if Taylor Jenkins, and I'm not saying he is or isn't, I'm not in their meeting rooms. I haven't done nearly enough film breakdown to, to make this statement, but if he's bringing the schemes of Budenholzer and not tweaking them considerably because he has Dylan Brooks instead of Chris Middleton, and he has John Morant instead of Eric Bledsoe and doing that sort of thing, that makes me nervous unless it's a lesson that's learned from coach Jenkins. And again, it's something that may have already been happening. And, and I just haven't, like I said, I haven't had the ability to break it down, but sometimes you, you have to know your personnel on both sides. The bucks are able to execute that type of scheme a lot more effectively than the Grizzlies because of their build. It may be Memphis two or three years from now is able to do that, but they're certainly not capable in this moment. No. And, and I mean, again, you know, some of that is just baked in. I, I, I don't want it to, to, to mean his scheme is not exactly Budenholzer's, but there's definitely, you know, some uh, crossover. There's definitely some uh, correlation there. Uh, they, they, they are a little bit different in terms of, uh, of it's not like, I mean, there's a, just a staggering amount of 25 plus foot three pointers that the Bucks have allowed this year. I mean, they are so far out in front of everybody else in that category. That's not even funny. The Grizzlies are not in, in that quite in that, 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 that realm um, but but there are certainly some elements of that, and, and you know I don't think you have much time to tweak it, um, you know in 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 the, in the bubble. I think one of the one of the most disappointing things to me with with Jaron Jackson Jr.'s injury was just how well he was playing on both ends of the floor. I mean, sure. His defense was 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 excellent, and and he anchors a lot of what the Grizzlies want to do defensively because he can go out and guard you know wings on the perimeter. He can also uh, protect at the rim. Uh, he he is he's just a a rare breed when it comes to that and and then there's a reason why the Grizzlies have just been uh, awful with him off the floor for the most part um, in the bubble. You know he is a massive part of that scheme. There's just not a lot of guys that can do what he does because like for example, you know Brandon Clark when you sub him in, okay, so Brandon Clark's a really good defensive player. I mean he he really gets it. He's got great timing. Um, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a very smart player, high basketball IQ, all that stuff. Brandon Clark's also 6'8", with a 6'8", wingspan. And right. I, there, there just is no, there's no getting around that. And so sometimes, and we, we saw it, um, you know, a lot against New Orleans when he would really go up against Brandon Ingram, you just can't, he's just not, he's not long enough. Like, he would be in the right position, he'd be right there, he'd be making the play, he'd be doing everything you want to do. And he just wasn't long enough. When you have a guy in Jaron who's basically a seven-footer with a seven-four wingspan who has great timing and everything else, and then can also defend guys like that, whether it's Zion or Ingram or whoever, you know, losing him is is debilitating to your scheme. Um, and it wasn't as if the Grizzlies were an absolute lockdown defensive team with him, but without him, it, it's real tough. You know, Jonas Valanciunas uh, has his limitations as a defender, as we've talked about a lot, and he forces you to play a certain way. When he's out there, you know, Joe, it's just tough. It's 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 difficult, and especially when you're trying to make that change on the fly against a really good teams, not going to happen. That's really important perspective to keep, and I don't want to make it sound like uh, I'm I'm down on the scheme because I'm not. I think you're exactly right. We say that Memphis doesn't have Giannis. They they kind of do <laughs> in Jaron Jackson Jr. in terms yeah. of what he could eventually be. And I have a feeling that if you sat down with Coach Jenkins and picked his brain, maybe off the record, he might admit to to such a lofty aspiration someday. Well, I mean, if you, um, if you read, if you read, I mean, if you read my my interview with with him uh, on the Athletic um, right before the world went down the toilet, 
Yeah, I don't um, remember. I mean, it. like right. I mean, I think <laughs> I think I think it was I think it actually ran like in the first two weeks in the pandemic and stuff. Because uh, okay. I recorded it, like I recorded it literally. Uh, we we did it. He I sat down with 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 Taylor for a one on one. Uh, I've been trying to get it forever, and we finally were able to make it work. It was the day before they were supposed to fly. No, 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 it was the day uh, before they played the Magic. Um, so whatever Monday or Tuesday, whatever that week was. Um, and so I sat down with him for a while. He was great. I mean, really good in that in that setting. I'd never really had a chance to to talk to him for that long. Just kind of you know shooting the breeze and he, he was terrific but that's one of the things that he said and if you read that if you go back and read it um you'll you'll see it. He, he he said uh, he basically more or less said i think jaron can be you know in Giannis territory he said he's not you know not not necessarily quite um you know Giannis or whatever but he he, he put him in an extremely high uh category and he is extremely high on him like i mean we're talking like major major so like you know i i think that's fair to say and i yeah he said it on, on the record i want to i want to i'm trying to there find you go. um because i got i gotta like uh let me see if i can find it here real fast so i can i want to give you the exact uh quote with with, with taylor because uh i don't want to miss i don't want to misquote him but he was he was he was extremely uh said he said um I finally sat down with him and showed him some numbers. I was like, when you do this, we do this well as a team. I think he started recognizing that. It was like, oh, bleep. If I can play like this, I think there's something to be said for his potential uh, at 20 years old, and he's starting to see it click already. I'd like to think his impact could somewhat be at Giannis's level as a two-way player. He's got the size, the physicality, the mobility, the athleticism. He's got the care factor. I'm going to learn more about his game. He's going to learn more about our game on the offensive end. But if he gets locked into what he was already doing defensively, and just take that incrementally to another level. I don't know what that means. All defensive player and an all-star? Is he an MVP? I don't know. That's a down-the-road conversation, but I think he can be an elite defender. Can he be an elite offensive player? For sure. So I, I, that's, his, that's, his, that's his exact quote. To me. There you so go. He's, well, he's, he's certainly uh, high on, on Jared. Well, maybe I read that post in a in a pre-COVID world, and it just stuck in my because uh, I have a, a subscription ago, to The so Athletic. That, so yeah. there's a decent chance I read it. Uh, but again, this – my memory has been fried by all the things that we talked about at the beginning of the segment that we won't uh, reiterate here. We're finishing up with Peter Edmiston. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If you don't already do so at Peter Edmiston uh, again, a great uh, co-host with Anthony Sane over there in morning sports 56 WHBQ. Also a great writer as he just talked about with the athletic Memphis. Uh, we'll get you guys out of here on this Parker. I'll lead off with you question of the daytime. Halfway through the seeding games, the Memphis Grizzlies are 0-4. I believe it's only them and the Sacramento Kings left being winless in the bubble. Uh, how many games will they win the, less, the rest of their stay in the NBA bubble? Uh, zero, one, two, or three and more. Uh, again, thanks to the 100 folks that voted in the poll uh, post-game against the Jazz. Parker, do you have Memphis winning no games, one game, two games, or three or more? I'm going to go one. And that's because I watched that entire Bucks and Nets game, and the Bucks did sit Giannis and Middleton for the second half. I don't think they played Bledsoe either. I don't even know if he's played yet. But they have the one seed clinched out East, and I mean, granted, there's no home court advantage or anything. But for all intents and purposes, their focus is going to be on a finals run, and so in that game, you're just hoping that. 
They're playing the lineup of Dante DiVincenzo, Sterling Brown, Kyle Korver, Ursula Ilyasova, and DJ Wilson. I think that would be enough to beat the Bucks. I would at least hope so. I would hope that even this iteration of the Memphis Grizzlies could beat the Bucks. But, I mean, I also just – I don't want to say any other games because all those other teams have something to fight for, the Thunder, the – the Celtics and the Raptors. And as we've seen throughout the bubble, um, they have a lot to work on and so little time to adjust. Granted, they could have a hot shitty night like they did against Miami in that scrimmage last week, or they can just play how they've been playing the whole time. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer or a negative eight and say that they're not going to win a (laughs) single game in the bubble. I'll say they get at least one. Okay, fair enough. What say you, Peter? Are they winning no games, one game, two games, or three or more? Uh, well, I'll be the Debbie Downer. They're not winning a game. Uh, oh, it's, it's Peter! Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Like I said, it's got no. I'm, I'm, I was preparing you for that uh, with all the talk about you know how it doesn't you know at the end of the day it doesn't really matter and everything's great for the future and blah blah blah. Uh, well, the present kind of sucks. Uh, you know, not only in the bubble, but frankly in the world so uh i I've, I've been telling people you know my I, I can be somewhat pessimistic but but i think but i think pessimism is the is the real realism to me uh, you know i think that i've been saying that for for a long time uh you know pessimism is realism now um, so that's just that's where it is i don't mind being pessimistic because that's kind of where we are uh as a society uh, if you go back all the way to uh right after the all-star break uh, the Grizzlies came out of that with five straight losses. They've lost uh, four, uh, or they've lost 11 of their last 15. If you go back uh, further uh, than just this bubble, uh, they, you remember going into the bubble, they lost that game at home to Orlando, a pretty bad performance uh, when when all when all was said and done. Uh, they've they've scrapped, I suppose, but they've really not not put together more than you know seven or eight good minutes consecutively in any of these games. And here's the other thing, I think. Um, you know, three of these next four are at home. So that's a really big help right there. Uh, <laughs> <that> home crowd. <laughs> um, no, I think, uh, as Parker said, I mean, these are all, these are all really good teams. Oklahoma City's playing uh, extremely well. Toronto's playing great. Uh, Boston is, uh, is, is very talented. It's just kind of up and down. And then Milwaukee's the wild card. You just have no idea really what they're going to look like in, in that game. But here's my wild card. If the Grizzlies lose to Oklahoma City, if they lose – to Toronto, and I think they will. At that point, they're probably in those two games. They're probably now out of the playoffs, or, or close to it. It's, it depends on what the other teams do, but they're they're probably uh, scraping by. And it may well be because of the the, the toll that's being put on John Morant. And I, I just wouldn't shock me if the team elects to kind of uh, maybe maybe shut him down for the last game or two. Um, you know, maybe be a little bit concerned, you know, long-term, what's good, what's this doing to him? He's playing tons of minutes right now, and he does not look quite right. Something doesn't look right about him. Uh, you know, down the stretch, he just didn't have it. He looks exhausted. Uh, I, I just don't think they're going to jeopardize him uh, for, for anything when it looks like the team is in this kind of position. So it wouldn't shock me at all, you know, much like you talk about Milwaukee, you know, resting guys, and they very well might. I don't. I wouldn't shock me if that games the Grizzlies are, are have lost the the other games if they they shut John Morant down for that game uh, and maybe Brandon Clark too. 
and maybe just kind of go with a totally developmental look uh, for that game, knowing that maybe not that much is on the line. Obviously, it's going to depend on where they are and what the other teams do and, and where they are. But, it, but if they're at a point where they're not going to make the playoffs, uh, then I, I think you may see the Grizzlies be the one that shut, shut folks down. So uh, with that in mind, I, 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 just, I, don't, I don't see them winning a the game at this point. I'm going the opposite direction of both of you. I voted three or more. Okay. okay? And here's why. Oh, because all right. w- when you spend six hours like I did doing research on ways to try to replace Jaron Jackson Jr. in the aggregate, you are going to try to be as positive as possible. So I do think they have to make tweaks. I don't think Brandon Clark is a starting four. I don't think that's a good idea. Hopefully that's something that he switches and that gives Brandon a chance to be dominant among reserves again. Whether it's Grayson Allen or DeAnthony Melton at this point, I don't care. I think you slide Kyle to the four and you put uh, Brandon Clark back on the bench. I, I think that there's things that they have to do to make tweaks, but I could see them winning one of the three against Boston, OKC, or Toronto just because basketball's stupid and, and things happen sometimes. Uh, and Memphis could maybe get a bounce, go their way for once, whether it's a 50-50 ball or something along those lines. I do think Milwaukee's going to rest their players. That'll be the second win, and I think that they win the game that they need to get into the playoffs. I think they win the one play-in game. They'll get swept by the Lakers. Uh, No games might be close, but that's my three. I think they'll win the play-in game. They'll win two of their last four here, and they'll squeak in and they will be uh, against the Lakers and get swept in the first round. So I'm going to be optimistic, Joe, it sounds like. Well, you guys are going to be the pessimists, and that's okay. We can make that work. Peter, thank you so much for your time. We'll have you back on down the road. You know, I I love you guys. Thank you all very, very much, as always. And I'm looking forward to the wave, the GBB bump that's coming my way. The GBB bump. That's exactly right, buddy. You got it. For Parker, for Peter, for Jeff, I'm Joe. Make sure you're checking out their shows on Sports 56 and 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis. Make sure you're checking out the work that we're doing over at grizzlybearblues.com. Subscribe to the GBB Podcast Network on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeart, on Google and Apple Podcasts. Anywhere that you can get a podcast, you can get Grizzly Bear Blues live. So again, thank you to Jeff. Thank you to Parker. Thank you to Peter. I'm Joe Mullinax, the site manager of grizzlybearblues.com, saying grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.